All right. Well, we have a, such a special morning this morning. As you know, church family, or maybe you don't know, as a church, we have supported financially the ministry of Fellowship of Christian Athletes for quite a while now, and Brother George Morris uh, specifically. Uh, it's been probably three or four years ago when we were on a mission trip to uh, Puerto Rico. I don't remember what year that was. You remember when that was, Dinara? Do you remember when that was? 18. Okay. Brother George came and delivered a powerful message. In fact, Debbie and I listened to the recording on the way to the airport as we were flying back. Uh, but it's been that long, I think, since Brother George was here. Well, since then, the ministry of FCA has grown tremendously, and you can see that by the numbers of people here. And uh, Debbie and I have been on the board of FCA, and, and it really does become like a family. God is just growing it so much and so wonderfully. Uh, we have a Tuesday afternoon prayer time at noon by Zoom. Uh, thank you, Susan, for always setting that up. And um, it's just been a real blessing. Well, over the last uh, year or so, Debbie and I have gotten a chance to meet more and more of the people. One is Vince, uh, who I told you was going to be with us today. And I just want to read a little bio because Vince is now on the staff, on staff with the ministry of FCA. Uh, again, if you're not familiar with FCA, it's Fellowship of Christian Athletes. When we came here, I'll get to Vince in just a second again. When we came here 20 years ago, one of our heart's desires was to reach the university, to reach Charlottesville. And, and we were thinking, of course, like most people, we would minister through the church and do that. But little did we know that God was going to do so much through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in the university itself. And it's just been amazing to watch what God has been doing. And the staff, again, has grown. More and more coaches open. Student athletes coming to know the Lord. And these guys are just penetrating the sports program there at UVA and growing around us rapidly, moving into Harrisonburg, Louisa Orange, all these places. Yeah, praise the Lord. It is really amazing. It's really amazing. I mean, you know, when you take a, a secular university like University of Virginia, who would think that God would be able to open so many doors? I mean, we should know that he would do that, right? It shouldn't be a surprise to us. Uh, but it's just absolutely staggering what God is doing. And so God has brought Vince along. And uh, Vince's little bio here is he says he's a double who, H-O-O, with degrees in kinesiology. That's what our son is doing. Uh, in his undergraduate, exercise physiology as a grad student, UVA football alumni, team captain in 2015, worked as a strength coach for UVA in 16 and 17, and UCLA from 18 to 21 as assistant strength coach, internship coordinator, director of sports science. Moved back here in Charlottesville in 2021 to launch into vocational ministry with FCA. And um, Vince has become just a dear brother and uh, to Debbie and me, and we just really appreciate him. Got a chance to eat dinner, and we're so excited because he's getting married to Lexi here coming up very soon. <laughs> Say again? Oh, Susan. Susan, probably right. Susan Nelson. Oh, how about that? Well, congratulations. Uh, awesome. Isn't that something? Well, so anyway, um, for most of you, though, really what's happening here is that I got tired of you all messing with me, so I hired a bodyguard. Okay? And so you're just going to have to see Vince if you've got a problem with me, and um, he'll take care of you. So anyway, Brother Vince, you come and share what the Lord's laid on your heart. Right. Well, thank y'all for ooh, thank y'all for having me. 
this morning. Thank you, Bruce, uh, for your, your generosity to share this, this podium and platform uh, with me, with FCA. Just to kind of continue on about the FCA update, yeah, for a long time, it was George Morris and Susan Marks holding things down. Uh, two people. George came here in 2010 when Mike London, former head football coach, hired him. Um, and since 2018, since the last time you would have seen him, our, our staff has quadrupled now. Um, and so there, there's eight of us, one prospective staff who's here today, Mel. Um, so she's working on, on coming on full time. Um, and it's just, it's amazing to be a part of that growth, to be a part of um, the impact and to know the history of, of where we were as, as a ministry 10 years ago. I got to the university as a student athlete in 2011. Um, so I was around for the beginning of it, but my formal introduction to FCA wasn't until George started discipling me in 2014. And so my current boss is the man that discipled me. He baptized me uh, in 2018, and in three weeks he will be marrying um, my very soon-to-be wife and myself. Um, and so it, 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 is, it is really amazing, and we're, we're very thankful for, for Bruce and Debbie and for your church in the way that, that you all have supported the ministry over probably its entirety here in Charlottesville. Um, and just as a testament of what the Lord is doing, um, there are two uh, student-athletes here, so I just moved into the role as football chaplain uh, for UVA football, a role that George had held since 2010. Um, so it's the first time this is being passed off, but, but he's moved up to a little bit big, bigger, bigger status in the FCA world. He's over 19 counties in the Blue Ridge, so he's, he's got a pretty full plate these days, and it's time to start to set up some succession. And so um, Mike Hollins and Deshaun Perry are here, um, and I'm, I'm going to actually just talk to them for a second. You two being here is a blessing to this house and to this city. And it might seem extremely insignificant right now, but I promise you one day there, there will be fruit from the two of you being here. And I don't know what it will look like or how it will come, but I know it will. And so thank you both for getting your butts out of bed on a day off on a rainy day, bodies hurting, they've been going through it in camp, um, and, and, and being here. Because the, the heart that Bruce just shared about impacting the university, a very secular place, is something that is dear to my heart, too. I didn't, I didn't fully see it when I was a student athlete, um, but I knew that there was walls that existed that made access hard for a lot of different people. And going out to L.A., being there for three and a half years, experiencing what I experienced and, and just getting a, a, a different lens of the world and then coming back to this place, I can see it very clearly um, how high those walls of, of access are and, and and division and everything in the city kind of revolves around the university, but not everybody really has has access to it. And so by you two coming out, it helps to chip away 
at some of that division and some of those walls, and it, and it helps to bless people in the city who have a heart to see um, the university, its professors, its students, its athletes impacted by the gospel. And so thank you, and, and thank you all for, for receiving us. Um, awesome. So none of that was planned. So <laughs> let's, let's maybe get to the word um, and, and have just a, a, a brief moment of prayer. Father, we, we thank you for, for this word that you've given us. We thank you for um, houses of worship that we can come to, to dive in, to learn, to hear your word, to, to pray and to process with brothers and sisters of what it means, how, how does it affect us, um, what can we do about it, what are you calling us to? Your word is living and active, and I and so my only prayer is this morning that you would speak. That you would use this time to communicate your word and your message in a way that we that it would be effective and active, and it would serve um, to know the intentions and desires of the hearts in the room and those watching online. That it would separate flesh and marrow from soul and spirit. And so, God, we are open to you. Come and have your way in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so I had had a talk yesterday, and then God um, got a hold of me this morning and kind of changed it all. And so we're going to try to keep it to this, this half hour, knowing that lunch is downstairs, but... Uh, but I heard that you're used to Bruce preaching, and <laughs> and so it might be okay if I go a little longer. Um, so I, I, I'm kind of a stranger in this house. Uh, there's a lot of people that I that I know here, and thank you all for for coming, um, and some of them driving from Charlotte this morning uh, without telling people <laughs> that they were coming. Um, but I, I want to share a little bit of my life with you all so you can kind of know who's talking to you. But also, um, I share a lot of testimony because I believe the word in Revelation that there's power in it. That the saints overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives um, so much as to save it. And so all I have is what God has done in my life. And so I, I want to share a little bit of myself with you, and, and, and we'll talk, talk about kind of where that's come from and what God has done, and, and then we're going to talk about Jesus a little bit, if that's cool. Um, yeah, so I shared a little, but I came to faith when I was in college. I came to faith um, in 2015, heading into my fifth year playing football at the University of Virginia. And, and I grew up in Catholic school, in Catholic church three Italian grandparents and one Hungarian grandparent. And so like, it's just, that's what we did. Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't ever something that was very personal to me. It wasn't something that we really practiced around the table as a family. It, it was just kind of what we did in school and a class that I needed to pass. Um, 
And I came to my faith in 2015, and like I said, George Morris did an awesome job uh, discipling me. He was always there, always, always present, always had a word ready, always was, was down to pray. He met me in some, some really tough times when I was really struggling, um, as, as we do when we first come to know and agree with the truth of the gospel. Some things in us have to die. But I walked for a few years kind of living a double double life, just not knowing exactly how to get all the way into this thing, into this life of faith, and all the way out of the life that I'd been living for 21 years. And I was working as a strength and conditioning coach here at the university, and in December 2017, January 2018, we made a move out to UCLA, and I was terrified to go to LA, the city of angels, because I, was, I knew that I was going to find out if I was a fraud in my faith or if this thing was for real. Because I was leaving the only Christian community that I ever knew, that I ever had, and going out to this place that you hear about on the news you don't really know what's going on, what's true, what's not, but you know some of it's probably not that great, and am I just going to regress and be found a fraud? And so I was, I was legitimately scared. And I just, the, the Lord used it to make me so dependent on him. I flew back six months after moving out to L.A. to get baptized by George here in town. Um, and God used the story of Jacob, who, who we're going to kind of lock in on today, um, to get me to come back, to get baptized. And he, he showed me some things in my life that I didn't really realize were there in ways that he was with me, in ways that he went before me and was, and was preparing things for me. And that decision to get baptized was because I knew God was calling me to do things, that he had things for me that I didn't know how to do by myself. And there was just this inner sense that there was something I had to do before I could step into these promises. There was, there was an identity shift that needed to take place before I could step into all that God had for me. And, and, and I would love to say that after my baptism, everything was hunky-dory and we were fully submitted and surrendered. Uh, but that's just not, not the way that it goes. There was still purifying that needed to be done. There was still sanctification. Obviously, this is a lifelong work. But there was, there was some, some major things surrounding um, lustful intentions and desires, drinking and alcohol. Like, I, I knew very specifically, God was calling me to a life to abstain from drinking alcohol. And I rationalized that with him for years. And, and I'm, I'm not one of these people that believe if you have a glass of wine at dinner, it's a sin. No, that's not, that's not the position I come from. But I just, I knew what God was at inviting me to. And I rationalized with him and played this game and, 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 and kept, kept my desires and tried to pair it with his, and found myself in this cycle where I was flat on my back every time. 
in a place where, where I didn't want to be until March of 2020, when I was at my lowest, darkest place, a place that I, I, I never thought I could get to, would get to, um, and, and the week that the world stopped because of COVID was the week that my life stopped because of sin. And it was the type of sin that, that ended relationships, that hurt people, that bore very serious consequences. Um, but it produced and forced me to a place to where I really got to face God. And it produced this thing in me um, that I really believe allows me to stand here today, that allows me to say that I am going to be marrying the love of my life in three weeks, that allows me to stare in the face of 123 football athletes every day, confident and sure of the salvation that Jesus offers. Like it produced something in me. And and we see this in Jacob's life, big time, right? We know about Jacob in the room, yeah? What's the first thing you think about when you think of Jacob? Just shout it out. Liar. I heard liar. He's a twin, deceiver. Some over here. Israel. There we go. There's one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Several kids, different wives. <laughs> yeah, all of those things are true. And, and I think the first place my mind always went was that he's a liar. And, and, and so we're going to cover a lot of ground. I don't know how much you normally cover in scriptures on a, on a Sunday, but we're going to cover a lot, and we're going to do it in record time, I promise. <laughs> um, Jacob, his name, though we often understand him to be a liar, a deceiver, literally means and translates to to seize by the heel, right? We know the story in Genesis 25 of his birth, right? We know of the prophecy in Genesis 25 um, as, as Rebecca prayed over this pregnancy that God, God shared with her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And then Jacob comes out grabbing big brother Esau's heel. So what? Does that really matter? What And, and what's, what's really in a name? Um, to seize by the heel. What does it mean to be a usurper, a supplanter? All you have to do is read about Jacob's life to know what that means. Immediately after their birth, we don't know exactly how much time has passed, or at least I don't. You might. I don't. Um, right after the birth, we see the instance of Esau selling his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. And it begins. This life of, of striving and grasping for things that weren't his to have rightfully in that time. 
Um, I think now would be a good time to mention, maybe two minutes ago would have been better, but I don't love the kind of Western model of sermons and how it's like, here's the proof and here's my outline and points of how I'm going to tell you that that's real and this is what we should do about it. I, I, I'm learning this way to understand the Bible where we get to actually question it. Um, and so I kind of hope we leave with a few more questions today than, than, than we started with. I hope that, that this would make the text kind of feel a little bit alive, hopefully maybe in a way that it hasn't for you in a while. Um, and so we're not going to answer everything, but we're going to question it. We're going to look at it, um, throw some ideas out, and, and study what what this could mean. And so Jacob's name and the naming process in the ancient East Eastern world was much more serious than maybe how we approach it today. This This was a process that that was done with the Lord very much at the center of it. And in Eastern cultures, and, and, and largely still to today, your name is not just what people are going to call you the rest of your life and, and the way to know when somebody's trying to reach you or talk to you. Your, your name was your destiny. Your name is, is your very essence and your very being. And so every time Jacob was spoken, there's an opportunity to respond in Jacob that I can live out this destiny for the good, for the God-given purposes and God-given will that he would have for it, or I could respond, serve myself with this destiny and fulfill it for a less ideal outcome and destiny. And we see it. And we see it all over scripture. I mean, you can point to Cain. His name is, is to acquire. And we see, we know the outcome of what Cain did. And when we study that, why? Why did he kill his brother? Well, and what does acquiring have to do with any of that? Cain was the farmer. He, he had to trust God to provide so that he, Cain, would be able to bring God an offering. Because that's how the whole thing with Cain and Abel began. His offering wasn't as pleasing to God. And Cain held it against Abel and killed him. He lived out and saw his destiny as something negative because he failed to trust God to provide for his acquisition of a, of a, of a good, suitable offering to God. We see it with Daniel and his buddies. In Daniel chapter 1, first thing that happens when they get taken to Babylon is they get new names. And they get some horrible new names. <laughs> I mean, right? We get, we get Daniel, who means God is my judge. Hananiah, Yah has been gracious. Mishael, who is what God is. And Azariah. Yah has helped. Contrasted with Belteshazzar. Bel will protect. 
Shadrach, inspired of Aku, Meshach, belonging to Aku, Abednego, servant of Nego. The enemy will try to take our God-given destiny and name and distort it so that we would serve his purposes over what God has for us. And so when we ask the question, what's in a name? Everything. And so we see Jacob swindle his brother out of his birthright. He already came out squeezing his heel. Now he's stolen his brother's birthright. Okay, something that, again, also in the East, it was lost on me. So I'm going to assume there's at least one other person that this was lost on. As you read, like, what's the big deal about this birthright? There's the idea in Jewish culture of, of what is called the Behor, which is the eldest brother. And not only, sometimes we understand and know that the eldest son would get a double portion of the inheritance. Nice. <laughs> Everybody wants the double portion but with the double portion comes the double responsibility. And so we could maybe argue that Esau didn't, he, it says um, in verse 34 of chapter 25 of Genesis that Esau despised his birthright. Esau was a man, he wanted to be out in the woods, he wanted to be killing stuff, skinning stuff, gutting it. Like that's, that, he was a man's man. That's what he wanted to do. He didn't want to concern himself with the affairs of the house, of running the operations, of making sure that, that we had enough stocked up for the winter. And all of that comes with being the behor, of having that birthright. Does that make what Jacob did right? I don't think so. I don't think anybody would say that. However, we see, and the point is, Jacob grasping for something that wasn't his. Striving to attain a thing that God had not yet given to him. And then we get to the end-ish of Isaac's life. And we see Jacob now, with the help of his mom, pull this other ruse over his father to get Esau's blessing. So he already took the birthright, but now he wants the blessing. And again, th this blessing is something that Isaac, his father, would have worked on with the Lord throughout Jacob's life. In Hebrew culture, the, these blessings on sons, and, and we see it again, Jacob, who becomes Israel, would bless his 12 sons. We can read about that in Scripture. This was a common practice in ancient cultures, and the father was responsible to go sit with the Lord and figure out, God, what, what are you saying? What do you want to say to my sons? So there was a blessing for the eldest and a blessing for the younger. And so this whole scheme um, that Rebecca somewhat initiates the plan for and disguises um, Jacob to confuse his dad who's now blind messed up um, 
This whole thing was to get that blessing of the eldest son. And Jacob gets a pretty sweet deal. Isaac blesses him in chapter 27 of Genesis. Verse 28. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Esau walks in right on the heels of that blessing and he wants his. Why can't you, God, Father, you're going to bless me now? Why, why don't you bless me? Why don't you just, can't you just take it back and give me what's rightfully mine? And I think in, 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 in my Western mind, like, I don't know, I grew up in school, like, oh, I, I take it back, I take it back, right? Somebody didn't talk to you, like, oh, take it back, right? <laughs> but our words hold value. And I think a lot of times in our society, we've lost the weight of just what our words can do and what they mean. That was a good one. clear church <laughs> um, there were no take backs there, you, <laughs> once the word proceeded from the mouth of Isaac it was as good as done because of the process and the prayer and the understanding that these are not my words they came from the Lord so as soon as they go forth it's done there's no take back. And so Esau still insists on his blessing, and his blessing is horrible. It's trash. I mean, it's, it's messed up. Um, <laughs> Isaac, his father, answered him. This is verse 39 of chapter 27 in Genesis. The blessing for Esau. Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. So naturally, there was a little familial conflict. Esau is out to kill Jacob, and so Jacob goes on the run. And it's there on the run that Jacob at least in our account, for the first time, meets God. Or should I say God meets Jacob? Asleep in, in a place that at least in the ESV is not even named. In other versions and translations, it's called Luz, L-U-Z. It's translated as in the middle of nowhere's nowhere. He couldn't be more nowhere lost in the wilderness. And he goes to sleep laying his head on a rock 
we'll pick up in Genesis 28:12. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And Jacob wakes up and says, wow, as I think we all would, the Lord is surely in this place. And in all of his confidence, and in that powerful encounter, he agrees to give his life to God. If, if God will be with me, Then, and, oh, excuse me, if God will be with me, and if he will keep me in his way, in this way that I go, and if he'll give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. We click our, we click our tongue, and, but we've been, I, I've been there. I won't speak for you. But I've been there. A conditional faith, despite a serious encounter with the Lord. Despite God showing Jacob this vision of this ladder that directly connects an open heaven to our earth. That I believe showing Jacob the destiny that God had for him to become Israel, to become the nation, his language in the dream promised it, that I'm going to make you a people and I'm going to give you this land. It's the same exact covenant that he made with Abraham in Genesis 12, that he repeated in Genesis 15, that he gave the sign of in Genesis 17, that he passed on to his father Isaac. It's the same story. Jacob knows this language. He knows this covenant. He's lived it his entire life. But when he sees it, there's pause. And then his life is, a, is, a, is an absolute mess when it, once he gets to his uncle's house, serves seven years to marry his younger daughter, that doesn't fly in Hebrew culture. You can't marry the younger daughter off before the older daughter. Everyone knows that. So he works seven more years to marry the daughter that he actually wanted to marry in the first place. And, this, this, and then he's there for probably about seven more years after he's married both of Laban's, his uncle's daughters. And, and this whole time, period of time that he's at his uncle's house, it's like the tables have turned on him. And all of a sudden, this great deceiver and usurper is now getting played by his own uncle. 
And, and we see this, this crazy dynamic to where he gets a little taste of his own medicine, so to speak. And immediately following that, we have him leave his uncle's house. And he has another encounter with the Lord. The night before he's getting ready to meet up with big brother Esau, he's terrified. Rightfully so. And he comes up with this plan to try to appease his brother, and he puts um, you know, one of his wife's families first with a bunch of the herd, and then his favorite wife was second, and then he followed in the back. And you know, I guess his thinking was maybe I can, I, he says, I can appease my brother with these gifts, with these offerings, and so, so maybe he won't raise his sword against me and, and come kill my whole family. But he leaves himself a little bit of an out, right? Well, if he is upset, maybe he'll only, he'll only kill, he'll kill one family and the rest of us can get away. So he's, he's still, after all these years, in this, this, conditional place with the Lord where he's just not, not not quite where we'd love him to be. Not quite upright and trusting the Lord. And so that night, the, the night before, he, he sneaks off. He, he crosses uh, the ford of Jabbok, which means um, disappear or wrestling. And he meets a man. In Genesis 32, 24, it says, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven or wrestled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And so we see this, this fundamental difference in this encounter with the Lord than the last encounter. All right, Genesis 28 versus Genesis 32. Jacob's been through some things. He's experienced some things. And we see kind of this, this humility start to settle over Jacob to where it becomes a, not an if you'll do this, then I'll follow you, but rather this I, I, I've seen God face-to-face. But my life has been spared. He's delivered me. But the text says it was just a man. But we know it was God because who has the authority to change a name? 
only the Father. And why would you ask just another man to bless you? You ask the Father for his blessing. And I, I believe it was in that moment that Jacob, that Jacob wrestled with himself. That, that in all of his wrestling with the man, with God, with, with blessings and birthrights and heel grabbing, that when God asked him his name, he was confronted with himself. And I believe we just get to read, and then Jacob answered, Jacob. But I believe there was a lot more behind that answer that Jacob had to deal with in that moment. And God gives him a new name, Isra. You have struggled El against God. Israel. So I guess the question I have is why in the world would God waste his time with a guy like Jacob? Why is Jacob the one who gets to become Israel? Doesn't make any sense. This dude spent his life spinning lies, taking stuff that wasn't his, deceiving people, spent most of his life on the run. And God meets him and changes his name as only God can. And he does the same with us. If you've had an experience with the Lord where he's met you and you said, I've seen you, I hear you, I know you, I want to know you, he has given you a new name. He can take you from living out the destiny of your name, your life, in a negative way to bring you into his promises. And it's actually his joy to do this. See, in, in, in Genesis 28, God shows Jacob a glimpse of the destiny and call for the people of Israel to be that ladder that shows the world this is who God is. He's, he's not these other gods that are angry and destroy the earth. That This is who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is. He's a merciful God. He's a loving father. In that dream, he showed them Jesus. Because Jesus is that ladder. Jesus was the one that actually came down from heaven and revealed the Father perfectly to us, that we would know him. Jesus was being revealed to Jacob, to Israel. 
And I believe that as a church, we need to refocus on Jesus. I'm so grateful for denominations because just like every person, they uniquely display the image of God to the world. But in all of our denominationalism and church planting and organization, the temptation is strong to miss Jesus. Just like all of our divisions in society between individuals, between race and class and gender, sexuality, it's really easy for us to miss Jesus. And we're worried a lot in these days about social reform, which is a very good thing. But what about reforming our hearts, the church? I'm not a scholar. I'm not a, I'm, I'm just not. I don't know a ton. But it's very clear that if you just take a look around, even just our city, that something's happening in our churches. You take a look around our country, something is happening in our churches. This push for prayer by pastor isn't fake. This, this is what he does. He's, he does it faithfully for our ministry weekly. And, and, and this is a necessary practice. Because prayer focuses us back to the heart of God, back to his face, to hear from him. And, and I believe that we're in a reformation of sorts in the church. And I pray for a revival of God's church, of his body. And all, all that happens, at least in my understanding, of a revival is that God unveils an, a, a part of his character that's been known, but it hasn't been experienced. And that characteristic of God Jesus that I believe we've been missing that we desperately need to know that I know has desperately changed my life has been Jesus as our high priest in Hebrews 2 verse 10 it says for it was fitting that he Jesus for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Why would the scripture say that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers 
if there were not some temptation in our own minds and in our own hearts that says that he should be ashamed to call us brothers. Are you comfortable, am I comfortable identifying with Jesus in this intimate, familial way? For a long time in my life, I I couldn't even look myself in the mirror. Much less look at Jesus. And I think we, we find ourselves in this place where I think we, we know Jesus as the lamb that was slain. And, and we know him as the one who has and holds and did what was needed to do the power to save. And there was the temptation that I fell into in my life for years where I, I was comfortable. I wasn't comfortable there, but I was, I was used to it. So I was okay in my sin because I knew Jesus would save me. It makes sense, and it's true. Jesus is the Lamb of God who was slain for the forgiveness of sins, for our salvation into eternity with the Lord. But eternity is not something that happens when you die. It's right now. Eternity is happening right now. And and I believe we need to understand this relationship with Jesus as brother, as sister. Because when we we understand that, we know where we come from. It says that Jesus is unashamed to call us brother because he knows our source. He knows that we come from the Father. Sorry. And if we can get past our weakness and our sin, and see ourselves the way that Jesus sees us. If we know that we have a high priest who is in heaven, alive, right now, interceding on our behalf, telling God, look, that's your son. That's your daughter. They are righteous because of what I did. Remember, Dad? Remember? If we could if we could get a hold of that, how much power would we have? How much peace would be in our lives? That, that's a connection that ushers us directly into family. It doesn't matter what your, what your earthly family looked like. You have a brother and a father that love you. You have somebody interceding for you in heaven, somebody who is alive. We have to know how to relate to the Father. If we can't relate to the Father, we, 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 can't, we can't pray. Jesus, Jesus taught them, Father, Abba, that, that is Daddy. That's not... Father, I can't even, that's daddy. 
That's intimacy. Hallowed be your name. Father, let your name be kept holy. It's the heart of prayer. And that heart of prayer, that relationship to Father, that relationship to Jesus, is what gives us that sense of belonging. It's what allows us to, as Jacob did, wrestle with God. To wrestle with our past. To heal from it. To grow from it. To be given a new name and a new identity. It's what he has for us. And I know for me, that was something that Maybe I'd heard versions of that. God's a good father. He loves you. How do I know? Well, just keep reading. Verse 17, Hebrews 2. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. I, like, I wonder if Jesus was tempted like Jacob to take something that wasn't his out of time. Being the son of God, God in flesh. I wonder if he was tempted to grasp at the heel of something. He was, like we read about him being tempted in the wilderness by the devil, but what does that mean? He was tempted just like we are. And he suffered for it. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He went through what he went through so that he could be effective and powerful to help us. We have a God, a brother, Jesus a high priest in heaven that can relate to us, that knows exactly where we are in this moment, that knows, I I love the question. I sent pastor no notes on this talk because I didn't have them (laughs) till this morning to send them. The question of what do you need this week? Jesus has it. Jesus has Whatever we need, today, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year, in our marriages, in our relationship with with family, with kids, he has what we need because he is our high priest. It's his joy to be doing exactly what he's doing. We can rest when we know Jesus. Not a moment before, but as soon as we come to know him, we can rest in his identity as high priest, that he calls us brothers and sisters because he knows us.
that he can help us in our temptation. All we have to do is bring it to him. You're not defiled because of your temptation. You're human. Temptation is not sin. He can help us before we get to the point of sin. Bring it to him. He knows. And allow him to lavish you with the love of the Father that gives you a new name. Because the promise that he spoke to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, is the promise that is still alive today. It's what we've been grafted into. It's the story that he, that God has been writing throughout the course of history that we have a share in because of the man Jesus. And so my, my hope and my prayer is that, is that we would just consider Jesus. Hebrews 3.1 Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Consider Jesus. When we consider Jesus, nothing else matters. No earthly status, no job title, no marital status, no position uh, in your family, in in your sibling order. Nothing matters when we consider Jesus as our apostle, the one sent by God to show man who God is, and our high priest, the one who stands in front of God in the place of man. He's your high priest. And when we know him as that, rest will mark our lives. And so my prayer in closing is that we would be full of rest. The rest that only God can give, that can only come from knowing who we are in Christ Jesus. It can only come when we finally just surrender to him. In my life in 2020, I reached a place of surrender. I'm not perfect. I still am tempted, I still fall short. I'm not always gentle with my words, but I'm surrendered. And my hope and prayer is that you are too. But if you're not, that you would know that you have a high priest who is alive, speaking on your behalf, telling the Father how much he loves you, telling the Father of what he did to make you righteous, telling the Father that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. I hope you know that this morning. I'll close us uh, in a word of prayer. Father, I just, I thank you the opportunity just to speak and to open your word it is it is humbling every time it's humbling that you choose 
imperfect people, that you choose us in our flaws and in our fears and in our doubts to write your story of goodness and of love and of an everlasting kingdom coming to this earth. I pray that, that as we hear and meditate on your words, that, that the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you. Pray that anything that I've spoken out of line or authority or that is, that is false, that you would just strike it from the record books, strike it from our memories. But God, I pray that, that the seeds of your gospel would, would take root in a new way in our hearts that we would know who you are and in knowing who you are we could step into our kingdom identity into our heavenly calling to advance the mission of your son to see everybody everybody come to know Jesus come to know the father so God grant us the rest to carry out this work in Jesus name Everyone stand. thank you so much for your love for us we thank you for your son Jesus who came who lived who showed us the way that that we should be Lord we just ask your forgiveness the many times each day that we we disappoint that we sin against you but Lord we just thank you so much for being the loving father who always is here to listen to us to watch over us grant us grace and mercy when we don't deserve it. Thank you so much for that. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.